You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Well, again, good morning. It's great to see you and sing with you and hear you all this morning. I know it's a little dreary. It's nice, like, just cuddle up with a nice warm beverage, light a candle, and sleep under blankets. Many of us, many of the college students, thank you for being here. I know we could have easily stayed in our dorms and done that this morning. Not the candles, they frown upon that in the dorms. Um, but this morning, uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, continuing our, our study through the, through the gospel of Luke. And so we are wrapping up chapter 9 today. So if you want to take a moment and flip in your Bibles... I hope you were, I hope you were listening to the words we were singing this morning. Um, I know Nate um, prayerfully picks the passage or picks the songs based on the passages that are being taught, being preached on, um, and it is just a it is a beautiful time of worship when we everything we do in this place is for God's glory and it's focused on praising Him, um, and so as we continue. From the time of music into a time of scripture, I, I pray that God will speak to our hearts and we'll continue to proclaim him um, and his greatness this morning. So, Luke chapter 9, uh, I'm going to read 51 through 62. Um, so, starting in verse 51 of chapter 9. When the days were drawing near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and he sent messenger, messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of, of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And he went on to another village. And as he was going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first um, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's, let's pray. Father, as we are looking at these passages today, as we are looking at your word today, May we hear these words rightly. May the Holy Spirit press upon us, and may we hear these words as if we were hearing them for the first time and, or taking action appropriately for the first time as your Holy Spirit is leading us to. Father, help remove distractions so we can hear rightly. Pray all these things in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. 
So there's kind, of, there's kind of two parts of this passage, kind of 51 through 56 and 57 to the end. There's kind of two chunks here as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Um, last week we, we saw as well that Jesus was talking about his own death and foretelling, uh, foretelling that. And the disciples were still confused. But Jesus is like, okay, it is time. Um, it is time. So he is in the process of walking to Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem, which will ultimately lead to the Passover and his crucifixion. And as they're passing through this Samaritan village, it says, like, you know, his face was set towards Jerusalem. Some people, um, some of the commentaries I was reading on that, they're like, yeah, he was just, okay, this is my purpose, is to get to Jerusalem to do the final things that need to happen there. Uh, and the Samaritans, um, they didn't receive him. And then James and John... I, I hear some of you chuckling, or at least Stefan, okay? Uh, chuckling, like James and John. You know something good's going to happen because they're about to open their mouth. Um, and so they're like, Lord, they didn't receive you. Should we call down fire? Props to them for get, having confidence, okay? Like they've been growing in their confidence. Like just previously, like we couldn't cast out demons. Um, and then before that, they were casting out demons. So like they have power. They're starting to get some boldness. Like, Jesus, they, re- they rejected you. Earlier you told us to shake off the dust of our feet. Should we shake them off the face of the earth by calling down fire? And then I like to imagine Jesus, um, which is a funny thing to say. Like, we like to make Jesus into our image. Okay, that's going to come up later. But I, I almost imagine Jesus almost like face-palming. Like, guys, it's not what we're supposed to do here, okay? Um, some manuscripts even include, like, um, a passage here that some Bibles don't. But, like... Um, that Jesus like, the Son of Man came not to destroy, but to save lives. Some manuscripts have that in there. Your Bible may have that in there. But like, like guys, why would we destroy? We did not come to kill everyone. We came to save life. But people were already starting to reject Jesus because he was focused on the cross. He was focused on the cross and what was set before him. And he was focused on getting to Jerusalem. And as he's going on, as he's going on, more people on the road start showing up. They're like, oh, Jesus, we will follow you in verse 57. And when along the road, someone says, I will follow you wherever you go. And another one in verse 61 says, and yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. So these people are wanting to follow Jesus. But Jesus warns them. He says, okay, you want to follow me? Good. But there's a cost to following me. Before you begin this journey, here's the terms and conditions. Young people, we never read this. We just click and get to the next thing we want. But Jesus, here's the terms and conditions. If you're going to follow me, there's a cost. There's actually a cost to doing this. The first one, he says, you know, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. He has no home. He has no grounded, special, specific place that he can safely return to, that's there. The other one, he says, like, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Like, once we start this, we can't look back fondly on the past and wish, I wish I'd done that before I started following Jesus. I wish I had done this before I started following Jesus. In our New Testament passage that we read um, earlier in the the service this morning, um, in Luke 14, Jesus even kind of 
Jesus goes on to add to this. Like, now the crowds were accompanying him, and he turned and says to them, if anyone wants to follow me, and he doesn't, even, he doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother or sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, those who have maybe studied this passage, that word hate isn't like animosity, wishing death, or raining down fire, as James and John were saying. No, it's to love less than. In Matthew 10, Jesus kind of explains that even more. He says, those who, who love their, fathers, their father and mother, wife, their sons and daughters more than me are not worthy to be my disciples. So this word here, hate, doesn't mean condemnation and just causing division. But like, if you love them more, you're not worthy to be my disciple. In chapter 14, verse 33, we saw that. And um, so, therefore, if any one of you does not denounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Which we may be asking, wait, wait, so Jesus is asking us to give up things more than just sin? Like, well, family, that's a good thing. We're asked to give up our family. These are good things. So he's calling us to give up, to confess, to turn away from more than sin? Well, let's look at some examples here. In, in Mark chapter 1, the first chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, look, look what happens here. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother, uh, brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, uh, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, um, who were in a boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in, um, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Here we see some of Jesus' early disciples. When he says, follow me, they left behind their nets. They left behind their livelihood. They left their father in order to follow Jesus. They had been waiting. for. There was this 400 years of silence between, your, uh, between the Old Testament and New Testament. The Israelites had been waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus shows up and says, follow me. I am him. And they left and followed him. They left behind their jobs. They left behind their livelihood. They left behind their family to follow Jesus because he was the greater thing. We focused on that last week, how he is the greater thing. Greatness came down. In our Old Testament passage that Laura read for us, um, there's the Old Testament um, story of Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings 19. And we see Elijah, the prophet, he came um, and he put his cloak on Elisha. And that was symbolic of, okay, like casting his mantle, like you are now my follower. And ultimately, Elisha, we saw that he was plowing with um, 12 yoke of oxen. And he ended up taking them and sacrificing them and sharing this meal. If you weren't here last Sunday night when Blake was sharing at the, uh, the evening service. He was talking about the value of, of his cows on his farm and how one cow, how much it can provide and how much meat and how much money it can make. Here we see Elisha has 12 yoke of oxen and he sacrifices them and offers them as a gift 
And they ate this together. This would have been a great expense. But he did that and then followed Elijah. I find it, I find that when Jesus is saying in Luke 9, 62, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I'm sure some people, Elisha was buzzing in their ears. Here was somebody who was with a plow and he left it to go and follow Elijah in a very hostile place where the kings were not so welcoming towards the prophets of Israel at that time. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, we also see that there were people who um, looked back and desired to return. That there were warnings. That there were warnings when people looked back and desired the past more than the kingdom future. In Genesis 19, verse 26, there's Lot's wife. There was a warning whenever they were, Lot was fleeing the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, do not look back. And as they're leaving that city and destruction is coming up on that city, we see Lot's wife looks back and she instantly turned into a pillar of salt. Someone who disobeyed and looked back and we see that judgment and destruction came upon that person. Another example that's not just one person, but corporately, um, we can find it in Numbers 14, the, the, the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, after they've been freed, after being in Egypt for so long, they're set free, they're in the wilderness, and after crossing the Red Sea, after, after previously seeing the ten plagues, they're out in the wilderness, and they're out there for less than a month. Get that, less than a month, and they're already complaining and whining and being like, I wish we were back in slavery in Egypt. Chapter 14, yeah. Uh, in the congregation, they raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to him, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would we have, di- or would we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land of fall by the sword? And on and on and on, they complain and complain and complain that we don't have water, we don't have food, God's brought us here to die. I wish we were back in Egypt. I wish we were around, at least in Egypt, we had meat around the pot, not this manna that shows up miraculously every day and is all that we ever need to eat. Ugh, they look back. And as we continue the story, as we continue the story of Israel, once they sent the spies in and the spies come back, ten of the spies said, no, the land, we shouldn't go in. There's giants there. We're like grasshoppers among them. And the people said, God, we're not going. And so God's like, okay, you can die here in the wilderness. For 40 years they waited till that older generation passed away because they're hard hearts. So he raised up a new generation. A new generation. They were looking back and not trusting what God was calling them to. They were desiring the past and not the kingdom, the promised land, the things that God was calling them to. They desired the past more than the things that God was calling them to. And it ultimately, in these two stories, led to their destruction and there were consequences.
So what do, so what do we do with the past? You know, we have memories, we have homes, we have families, there's many fond things, precious things. Like, well, what are we to do? As I was reflecting on this question, there was an image came to mind, or a person came to mind. Uh, In 2019, a TV series, or a series aired on Netflix, called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. For those who don't know who this this lady was, um, she was teaching a technique of uh, decluttering your home in a life focused on one major idea as you're cleaning. Like, you pick up an item that you want to get rid of or dispose of in your house, and you would ask the question, did anyone know? Oh, does it spark joy? Yes. So you'd pick up this item, and does it spark joy? And if it was no, you thanked the thing for, the, for it serving its purpose, and then you get rid of that thing. So you don't have anxiety about, should I get rid of this? And so when you look at your old notebook full of high school notes that you have cluttering your closet, some of you are laughing because you're like, oh, he's, <laughs> no. I just got rid of some of mine. I'm like, I don't need these English notes from my senior year. I'm never looking at these vocab words again. There certainly wasn't joy, and I got rid of them, okay? That wasn't what I was thinking, but they just need to get rid of, okay? When you look at old notebooks, do they spark joy? No, you get rid of it, and then you repeat it over and over and over. And so Marie Kondo, she said, if you do this, it will help you have a peaceful life. It'll help bring joy in your life. It'll help reduce stress and pain. I'm sure, Stefan, as you guys are going through your house right now, yeah, you have a dumpster full of things that don't cause joy. Yeah, <laughs> or, or like, I just don't want to carry it anymore. Yeah. There's only so much room in the moving truck, okay? So, but many families, you know, they deep cleaned. They purged out the closets, okay? They got rid of clothes, toys, unused wedding gifts that were still in the original packaging, uh, and stuff they saved just in case. Why? Because it did not spark joy. In removing these items, according to Marie Kondo, it promised a happier, more fulfilling life. This Netflix series was released right before, you know, the lockdown in 2020. And so this became the perfect time for many people with lots of time on their hands to declutter their homes um, and their lives by following her advice. It's interesting, uh, you know, I've helped people move from houses and they've had storage units full of stuff that they've kept because they don't have room for it in their homes or their basements. I have a dresser in, uh, full of t-shirts that I'm very sentimental with and I don't want to get rid of. They fit, but I can only wear so many at a time in the laundry. Anyways, I, I have a problem with my t-shirts. I like them, okay? But why? Because they, when I see these shirts, not thinking of Marie Kondo, but like, they have joy. There's, there's a lot of sentimental things, whether it was this event or this camp thing or this outreach thing or this fun vacation, We hold on to things because of joy and value that we have given these things. Now, we say all that and we laugh about that. And some of us have done the Marie Kondo thing. And I'm sure your your houses are more happy. (laughs) Maybe a little less cluttered. But what what about Jesus' words? Let's think back about Jesus' words. Jesus is not saying that we... Jesus is not saying to cast things off that don't spark joy. No, he's saying to cast off anything that you love more than him. Do we feel joy? Not necessarily. 
or at least not in immediate gratification terms. Again, look what Jesus, is, Jesus warns earlier in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 23. And Jesus said, and he said to all, um, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. I mean, do you see that? It's not for immediate joy. We do it out of love for the greater thing. We do it because we are citizens of the kingdom, and that's what our king has commanded us to do. We are so quick to listen to influencers or professionals that tell us to do things, but we are so slow. We are so slow to do it, or so cautious, or so fearful to do it, when the Creator and our Lord has called us to do it. There's this, again, it's not this immediate joy. Jesus isn't promising immediate joy. As we said, Jesus had set his eyes on Jerusalem. He was setting his eyes as he's walking through these Samaritan villages, and people are coming. And when we read Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, look, look, how, look how the writers of Hebrews use this word here. It says, yet, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured this cross, despising shame and seated at the right hand at the throne of God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I'm not going to insult our intelligence by like, explaining how painful the cross was. We know how painful the cross was. Or we, we have an idea of how painful the cross was. But Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. There's this future joy in this upside-down kingdom. Casting off these things and taking up our cross and following him, there is joy in it. God has promised this joy. Frequently, as I'm reading a passage and studying, getting ready to preach, the Holy Spirit will really frequently brings out one verse or one word that just kind of grabs me and ha- see it in a way that maybe I haven't seen before. That word for me, as I was preparing this, came from our, our passage in Luke 9, verse 62. And Jesus, as he was talking to that second man, says, let me follow you. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Is fit for the kingdom. This word fit, for whatever reason, really, like, God was bringing that out. I was like, okay, let's, what, what's going on here? What is, what is Jesus meaning by fit for the kingdom of God? Or who is somebody that we would say is fit for the kingdom of God? And a person that came to mind for me was Paul. As we're looking at Paul's life and what Paul is speaking, and even Paul's humility in Philippians 1, Philippians 1, 27, uh, sorry, Philippians 1, 21 through 27, Paul speaks to this. This picking up your cross, dying to yourself, and following Christ. As that last song we sing, I've been crucified with Christ. 
Paul is speaking of this. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Picking up your cross and following me for this joy. He says, to die, following Christ, to pick up my cross, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this means, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you, speaking to the church of Philippi, that I remain in the body. See how he's torn? Like There's this future joy with being with Christ, which is so much better. But for now, I'm going to suffer. For now, I'm going to persevere. For now, I am fixing my eyes and pursuing you and ministering to you, church, is what he says. Convinced of this, verse 25, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again uh, and your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happened, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Again, it's like the idea of fit. Whoever's fit, are you worthy of the manner of Christ? Is the way that you are living your life, is it worthy? Would you say, yes. If we were to measure it, that word worthy there, Paul, um, it is a political term. It's a political term there. Um, Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi, who would have been Roman citizens. And like, so this word worthy here, are you worthy of the citizenship that you are called? Does your conduct match your citizenship? Are you a worthy Roman citizen here? Could be one idea. Well, Paul isn't saying worthy Roman citizen. He's saying, are you a worthy follower of Christ? Are you a worthy citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you, does your conduct match your gospel? Does your conduct match your gospel? Are you fit? Are you worthy? Have you counted the cost? He says pretty much the same thing in Colossians 1.10. He says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing to Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of Christ. If we're picking up the cross and following Him, we are worthy. We are living a life that is worthy. Our life is defined by fruit here, that is characteristic of a follower of Christ and as a citizen. Have we counted the cost of following Christ? Have we counted the cost of following Christ? I couldn't find the author of the quote, but one quote I found um, on this passage in Luke 9 uh, though, though art not a sower fit to scatter the good seed of the kingdom, if thou canst hold the plow, no better. If, if you are a follower of him, if you are a follower of him, you are not fit to scatter the good seed of the kingdom if you can't hold the plow and follow after him. When we repent of our sin, when we become a follower of Jesus, we repent, we turn away from our old life and follow him. 
And Jesus warns here, no one who turns and follows me and looks back and desires the former things, desires the sin that you lived in, desires those things more than me, are fit to be a follower, are fit for the kingdom. Christ has called us to daily pick up our cross and follow him. Pick up your cross and follow him, is what he says. So as we reflect on what Jesus is saying here, of counting the cost, of repenting of our sin and following him, like, I want to be a follower of Jesus, are we counting the cost? Are you living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Are you serving the king of the kingdom and as citizens daily seeking the joy of the cross? Is that what we're desiring? Are we seeking the joy of the cross? The eternal relationship with Jesus, the following after him, the denying and loving everything in this world less than him. Like I said, we have storage units and closets of things full. And like, well, I'd follow you, Jesus, but I got this. I have to take care of these things. I would commit to do this, but I... Jesus is saying, we need to cast those things off and follow him. Or at least be willing to cast those things off to follow him because he is the better, he is the greater thing. So whether it is sin that we are holding on to or whether it is other things we love that are preventing us from following him, what do we need to cast off today so we can pick up our cross and follow him? What do you need to cast off today so that you can pick up the cross of Christ and for the joy set before us, follow him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you again for the the beautiful gift of salvation that you've that you've given through your Son so that we can have a right relationship with you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin and shows us your righteousness. Father, if, if we are calling ourselves Christians, if we are calling ourselves followers of you, may our lives be fit. May our lives be worthy. May our lives reflect that because we are daily picking up the cross and following after you. God, that we are daily laying down the things that we hold on to so closely that give us temporary, momentary, but passing joy and follow after you. May this church be characterized 
by men and women that have counted the cost and have laid aside everything that distracts, everything that clings to us that is not of you so that we can follow in your footsteps, that we can follow after you for the joy that is set before us. Pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.